The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. The Word of God today... I believe is going to tell us, get your hope up. I have arrived and I'm arriving. So Advent's about. Well, I hope, as we're focusing on hope, I hope certain things will not come back. Uh, The cinnamon challenge, if you've ever seen that online. Take a tablespoon of cinnamon and try to swallow it. That's terrible. Never do that. Every time, it. oh man, I can't even watch it. Uh, skinny jeans for guys. <laughs> I just I hope that doesn't come back. Uh, Disney live action remakes that make the original one worse. I, I just don't. Mm-mm. Uh, the duck face that girls make on social media. I think that's still here actually, but uh, certain things we hope don't come back. But Advent reminds us that we put our hope completely on something that's vital that is coming back. It instructs us. In life, our hope, uh, we let it go low sometimes. It's like the gas gauge on our car. We let it go below quarter tank, and then finally that little light pops up that says, you better pull over and find a gas station quickly, or you're in need of help. And maybe your gas tank physically out in your car is low right now, and you're convicted, right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not why I brought that up. The analogy is to say that sometimes we let that do, we let our soul get that low. We think, God has forgotten me. Well, hope says that he will never forget you. God is done with me. Hope says that when God begins a good work, he'll complete it. He'll carry it on. God could never accept me, you might say. Hope says that God has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. Hope is an incredible weapon if we use it. Hope will defeat that which tries to defeat us. That's what hope does in our life. In Titus, the book we're reading from, you can actually open up your Bible to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus 2, verse 11. Towards the end of the New Testament, you'll see... First and Second Timothy, Titus. You hit Hebrews, you went one book too far. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The book of Titus uh, makes a big deal out of belief impacting your behavior. What you think in life, what you believe in, is going to impact the way you live out your day-to-day routines. Nonetheless, you see hope mentioned three times in this book, Hope will impact the way that you live. I don't know about you, but I want to be like the angel Gabriel when he said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. He said, nothing is impossible with God. I want to have a hope like that. I want to wake up in the morning and say, nothing is impossible with my God today. The angel Gabriel said that. You know, in that same book, that Gospel of Luke, he identifies himself as, 
I'm the one who stands in the presence of God. I thought that detail was just too fun not to bring up this morning. Gabriel stands before Mary and says, I just want to know, I want you to know who you're talking to. I'm the one who stands before the presence of God, and I'm here to tell you that nothing is impossible with God. That is hope. Well, I said earlier, I used hope in kind of a cultural way. I hope these things don't come back. Maybe they will. Maybe next week you'll see me in skinny jeans. Probably not. One of my friends back there shook his head like, please don't. Uh, biblical hope is different than how we use it oftentimes. And I'm guilty of this. I, I use that all, oh man, I hope my team wins. I'll, I use it like that, and we do. We're accustomed to that. But I, I want to make it clear that biblical hope is us looking forward with certainty because our faith is in God. Us looking forward into the future with confidence because my faith is in my God. Hebrews 11.1 1 actually says, faith is the confidence of things hoped for. It defines faith by tying in hope. What is your faith? It's actually the confidence of the hope we have in God. That's what faith is. It's, it's what changes the very end of the book of Proverbs Chapter 31, it changes the direction for what we call the proverbial woman. And you can apply this to man or woman. But it says about her, her position is secure. Get this. She smiles at the future. I love that line. Smiles at the future. We can do so many things when we think about what's going to happen later today, later this week, later this month, all the anxieties we talked about last week. And sometimes the last thing we do is smile at the future. But hope says, as you move forward, your faith being in God, you can do just that. Advent, again, is the hope in God's arrival. And when God shows up, let me tell you, it is glorious. I remember being at a conference uh, back home and... Uh, there was, at the end of the service, they were doing kind of an altar call thing, but it wasn't a rededication. It was they're going to have a, people praying up at the front, and if you want to get prayed for, come on up here. And, you know, the speaker made this big deal about the glory of God and him arriving, and he's here, and if you just get prayed for, man, God's going to do something. And, and I'm amped up. I'm excited. My hope is that when I go to that front and I get prayed for, something's going to happen. I went to the very front, and it looked like everyone around me was just, wow, God is so good, after they got prayed for. And I went up, felt like nothing. Nothing happened. And I, I ought to be honest, I was a little bummed out, because I was really feeling like God's going to do something today. And then I got this little thought that came to my mind. Go to the very back of the sanctuary, get on your knees and praise me, and you'll see my glory. And what God was speaking to me, is just kind of, little footnote here for the message, is that my hope is not in the man who prayed for me. My hope is in God alone. So I went to that back of that sanctuary, and I got on my knees, and I, I prayed, and I got caught up in heaven. No, I didn't. Okay. I did, that didn't happen. But I got this very real sense of, ooh, profound presence of God. It was glorious. I didn't want to leave that place. I just want to stay here, God like when Jesus ascended back to heaven and the apostles are looking up. The angels finally come. I don't know how long they've been looking up, but the angels finally come and say, move along. 
you got work to do. That's kind of how I felt. I could stay in this moment, God. When God shows up, his glory, it's amazing. And I got, I got actually uh, permission to share this. Uh, Chloe, one of my daughters, two weeks ago when we were out in the pavilion, I, I came back from playing a little percussion box over here, and I came down off the stage, and, and she said, Dad, I think I just experienced the presence of God in worship. I said, that's amazing. Tell me about it. And it was just this peaceful presence, so much so that she was caught up when she opens her eyes. She goes, oh, yeah, I'm still at Stone Oak Bible Church. <laughs> Got kind of lost in the presence of God. When God shows up, it's always glorious. Luke chapter 2, famous passage for this season. Verse 8 and 9 says there were shepherds, people of no status, out in a field watching a flock, working the night shift. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them. Who said the night shift was dull anyways, right? God's glory, boom, just explodes the sky. And these shepherds became the first messengers of Advent. God has arrived. And later on in that chapter 2, verse 18, it says, All who heard it wondered at the things that were told to them by the shepherds. Because most often, they probably came back from the night shift. How was work? Eh, was whatever, was sheep, dirt, fields, boring. This night was different. God showed up. Advent started. So Titus, with your Bibles open there, chapter 2, verse 11, God is saying to us this morning, get your hope up. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That line right there is a mic drop. For the grace of God has appeared. Jesus came. Again, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, Emmanuel, God with us. What does it mean that God is with us? It's life-changing. When, when Jesus is a part of your life, God's presence with you is a part of your life, it will change you. It will change you. I was reading in this book recently about the tale of this brother and this sister, and she recounts it from her perspective. She says, you know, I always followed God. I, always, I, I lived this life. She went on to become an evangelist, and the brother went the way of the world. He rejected the household faith that he grew up in. He said, I don't want that. He lived his life. They just further and further, there was this chasm between them. And she said, it wasn't until the end of our life that... And mind you, all, all along the way, she was sharing the gospel with them, how Jesus could change her life, his life, if he would only let him. It came to the end of their life, and the brother fell on hard times. We're talking about desperate times, hopeless times. And so she said to her brother, you know what I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share with you this good news that Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He was buried. He buried your sin in that grave, and he rose again, defeating your greatest enemy, death, and the sin that you carry. He defeated it. If you put your faith in him, if you put your trust in him, you're going to have hope. She's like, you know I'm going to share that message with you. He said, I know, I know, I know. And he was a little bit more receptive, but he did not receive Jesus that night. It wasn't until shortly after that, they were celebrating, imagine a Thanksgiving, some sort of holiday festivity with one another, and they're sitting around the table, and she noticed something different in her brother's countenance. 
Not too long after he went through this despondency, now he's smiling around the table. And she's wondering, what got into him? So she waited till the crowd died down and most people left, and she turned to her, her brother at the end of the night, and she said, what's changed in you? And he said, well, I'm happy to tell you, I gave my life to Jesus. Hope entered into her brother's life. And hope came just on time. Because she goes on to finish the story by saying, five days later, he was killed in a car accident. He needed hope right in that moment. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, points us to this grace of God appearing, saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came together through him. In him, life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, think glory again, and the darkness did not overpower it. That's how John begins the gospel, with confidence, with hope, already instilling in us. Darkness cannot overpower this hope we're talking about. It's in the word of God who came. Verse 14 in the message paraphrase of John 1 says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory. Advent is God's grace and glory arriving, getting our hope up. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness. And it goes on to say, and transferred us into the kingdom of his light. But in 1997, when I was a freshman in high school, I went to an evangelistic concert and Jesus delivered me from the domain of darkness. I gave my life to Christ, and all of a sudden, this little guy, poof, hope came alive inside of me. This hope is a message for the oldest in the room and the youngest in this room. This hope in Jesus Christ is a message for you kids. Yes, you're stuck with us today. So you're going to hear about this hope. It's for you kids. And it's for the adults. For all of us. What darkness, I wonder, has Jesus delivered you from? Think about that. What darkness? You know the reason why anxiety, that message last night, hit me so hard? And if you didn't hear it, go back and hear it. It was a great message. But the reason it hit me so hard is that was my struggle for a long time. And still to this day, anxiety, specifically social anxiety, it's God's sense of humor and his ironic plot twist that God took a guy who's afraid of people to lead people. Go God. But it's only in our weakness that his, his strength has an opportunity to land, right? So what darkness has God delivered you from? What darkness are you still holding on to in your life? The message of getting your hope up is, is you have a place to cast that darkness. You have a place to offload that sin. You have a place to come and bring your fears and your worries and come just as you are and let the grace of God, the advent, the hope of God hit your soul. It's time you put your hope. It's time. And this is not just for the person who needs to give your life to Jesus this morning. This is for the person who's just kind of put their faith on autopilot and you let it just do its thing. And you, what you realize through that, and you wonder sometimes, why is my faith so weak? Why are my prayers so small? Why is my hope 
so little, you don't put your faith on autopilot. It's time to put your hope in God. Verse 11, again in Titus, the second half says, bringing salvation to all people. The potential here is that includes you. All people. That's what this gospel's for. Well, verse 12 and 13, moving along in our passage, the grace of God training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, right, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 11 talks about salvation. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's a moment. That's a gift. You can't work for it. There's nothing you can do to achieve it. You receive it like a little kid getting a gift on, on Christmas. That kid could have been a snot-nosed Brad. And that parent still loves him and says, you getting coal at least, <laughs> right? <laughs> getting something. Got to give you something. It's Christmas. You're getting a gift. You didn't deserve it. Here you go. God didn't look down the corridor of time and see the moment you were born and go, now there's a good one. God saw you just as you are. When you look in the mirror and it's just you and you know the frailty, you know the brokenness, you know the stuff that you deal with and you carry, God sees it. God says, a salvation is a moment gift for you. Verse 12 and 13 then turns us to something different. It says the grace of God didn't just bring salvation, it brings training. This is not a moment, this is a lifetime. This is not a gift, this is what we call discipleship. This is where we put our boots to the ground and in the grace of God go we and we walk. And as the Bible says, we don't work for our salvation, we work out our salvation. When you go to the gym, you don't work for a body, you work out your body, right? You already got the body. You didn't go to the gym to get the body. That's how salvation works. You get the salvation, you get the grace of God accepted. <gasps> I can breathe. I feel like that sometimes. Like, God is so good, I could sing. And the grace of God's already hit your heart. I'm good with God. My God loves me. I'm forgiven. All of it taken care of. Now you can get to work in that grace and let that beautiful grace of that gospel, Jesus, the hope of glory inside of us, working from the inside out, changing you. That's what's going on. And verse 12 and 13 is giving us a pathway for that, discipleship. Spurgeon, which is a hero of the faith in the 19th century, said there's three, three, three things that can, well, he didn't say get your hope up, but I put that in there. There's three things in here that will get your hope up. Renounce, live, and wait. Renounce, live, and wait. Renounce means to get rid of the things that would block your hope. And there's two things specifically in verse 12. You see, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Ungodliness are things that are adamantly against God. You know it's wrong. You're the little kid, and Dad has told you, do not touch that hot stove. And you I like touching hot stoves. You know you're going against the commandment of your father, and you know it. You know it's wrong, and you know you need to put it to rest. The grace of God says you can. You can renounce that thing. Get rid of it. Why? Because it's blocking your hope. You're not going to find hope digging in the trash anymore. That's not where you find a good meal. Your father has something better for you. Renounce it. It's blocking your hope. Worldly passions. These could just be things of earth. They're not necessarily sinful. They're not necessarily 
godly, they're just kind of whatever, neutral. They're distractions. It's going to block your hope because you're too busy doing something else. Isn't that such a testament that here we are, redeemed people living in a fallen world, and we're not home yet? When you think about your walk with Christ, that you can put everything else before him and the sake of progress, and then you forget that God wants to be the first in your life. Get distracted. For me this week, God was very clear with me. He said, I want you to take your phone, and I want you to put it to the side. And I want you not to even keep it on you during the day. So if I was late in texting you back, don't blame it on me. (laughs) God told me. I take full responsibility. I'm so glad I obeyed that little sense that he said, put it to the side. Because I'll tell you, it's something about this device. I need to check it. Even if there's no notification, there is. And I have to go and look at it. And then I have to go on YouTube. And then I have to check the news. And then I have to, before you know it, I have sucked up so much time on this thing. And by the end of the day, I'm like, why am I not experiencing hope? Dude, because the algorithm on my phone is telling me to look at stuff that's not hopeful. Telling you, it sends it my way. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. And I have to watch it. And I wonder, by the end of the day, I'm like, oh man, the world is falling apart. And I'm not thinking about the one who's holding it together. Renounce worldly passions. These could just be distractions. What's your distraction? It keeps you from seeking after God. Renounce, live, and wait. Second is live. So we're not only getting rid of things that block our hope, now we're living. We're promoting the things that are going to give us hope. It says self-controlled, upright, godly. Self-controlled, another translation says sensible. And when I think of that word sensible, I think of food for some reason. Like, part of a balanced diet. And it's always funny to me that whenever you read that on a box or you see it in a commercial, this is part of a balanced diet. You know that's code for this is the unhealthy part. Right? Sensible. Balance. Self-controlled. It's, I don't want to give to excess of any one thing that it might outshine this hope that I have in God. Live a balanced life, upright. This is things that are specifically pleasing to God. The Bible actually tells us, discover the things that please God. Look into his word and find out what pleases him. I'm telling you, it'll not only please him, but once you get going with living for things that are going to promote hope in your life, you'll find that it's pleasing to you too. And let me be real. That was the case for this week. I went into this week not very hopeful. And, and time would get away with us if I went through all the little inner workings of my life. That's not pertinent. I'm just telling you, I'm living this message where I felt I started out this week going, I don't, I don't want to go after this. But, you know, to act against God's word is neither right nor safe. Someone said that somewhere. That was Reformation Luther. Anyways, freebie. Live upright. Go after the things that please God. And after a while, you start going, this feels good. Godly, it says, live a godly life, 
Well, how are we going to do that? I would point you specifically to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Spend time meditating in the Gospels, the life of Christ, and just see what he did. See how he treated people. See his devotion to the Father. Just see the practices that he put into his life. What, look at those things. Study it. Marvel at them. Let them impact you and incorporate them into your life. You'll start living a godly life. And you'll start seeing hope on the rise in your life. Renounce, live, and wait. And we're going to spend the rest of our time in the message on this wait. Actually look for hope. Verse 13 Right there, it says, waiting for our blessed hope. The word wait is an action word. It's a verb. It means to look for, to receive, and to take. When I click buy now on Amazon, I track it. I actually track package coming to my door. I, I, I actually I, I wait for it. I look for it. Sometimes... I sneak up on the delivery guy just to spook him. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> but there's this process that starts when I click buy now. I'm looking for. I'm waiting to receive. And that's the same thing it says we ought to do with hope. Waiting for our blessed hope. Waiting for hope is not passive. It's interactive. Hope doesn't just come to you. You need to go after it. Why am I not a hopeful person? Because you're not going after it. Remember, salvation's a free gift. Get the grace of God. Amen. Hallelujah. How's that thing going to, as we sang earlier, the, the, the flower opening up to the sun, how's that going to happen? You have to go after it. That's what the Bible's saying right here, very clearly. Your level of hope will be determined by your level of look. Get that? Your level of hope will be determined directly by your level of look. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, faith, hope, love. Abide in these three. What does that mean? In other words, don't let hope get away. Stay vitally connected to your hope in God. If hope in God doesn't define your day, guess what? Your day is going to define your hope. This is the word of God. It's simple, practical truths, but it's, we need to hear it, don't we? Because we're so wired to let the other thing happen. The day defines our hope. If it's a good day, guess what? Dad's feeling good. If it's a rough day, you just see the countenance change. Well, if my hope is in God, it doesn't have to be dependent on circumstances or emotions. We went on vacation this last week, just a three or four day getaway, went up to Austin, and it was great, and I was hopeful, I was excited until night two. The smoke alarm in our hotel room went off, and there was no fire, so now I'm upset. And it's blaring, it's not like one of those quiet ones. This is loud. I had just fallen asleep. It's 10 p.m., Jolene rushes out of bed. <gasps> What's going on? I'm like, I don't know. And mind you, I think it was because of the suggestion of the alarm going off, my subconscious and all that. I, had, I just had a dream about the hotel catching on fire. And I wake up to a fire alarm. I'm like, it's happening. <laughs> and I'm just like, I didn't pay for this, man. My hope is already down the drains in that moment. So I'm like fumbling in the dark trying to like hit it with a chair or like get something to 
try to shut this thing off so the kids don't wake up. You have four kids that are all sleeping. You can imagine the next day if we all woke up, right? And then so, so I finally was able to get the thing to turn off for, for a moment, long enough to call the maintenance guy, and he comes up, and the guy is like the loudest maintenance guy I've ever met in my life. <laughs> he comes in the room, and he's got a whisper like mine, which is not a whisper. Yeah. He's like, I heard the fire alarm's going off. I'm like, yeah, but you can talk like this. Is it in the other room? Yeah, it's in the other room. Could you just keep it down a little bit? Yeah, sure, but I don't have a ladder. I'm going to need to find some way to get up there. Like, can you just please whisper? The kids are sleeping. He's like, yeah, I'm trying to be quiet. I'm like, okay, this is trying. He gets the chair and first off hits the ceiling with the chair. I'm like, oh, dude, this is hopeless. And then just to, just to round out the story, at the very end, I went downstairs. I couldn't sleep anymore. Went downstairs. I, I saw the maintenance guy. He's like, hey, I just got to ask you, was I quiet? <laughs> like, you were like a ninja, bro. He's like, you need to tell my wife that. <laughs> Man, 10 p.m., fire alarm going off. Hope is out the door. Don't let your life decide your level of hope. I mean, that's just kind of a silly story, a funny story about it. But Acts chapter 3 is a sad story. It's the first healing in the book of Acts, but it's this beggar who's paralyzed. He's been there for some time, Acts chapter 3, verse 4, if you wanted to look at it. And how do the apostles have to get his attention? The first thing they say is, look at us. And when you see that, you realize this person's out there begging, panhandling, and they're not even looking at people anymore. They're totally checked out. Their hope is flatlined. They're not even looking for hope anymore. Well, Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you. You can be filled by God and his hope for you. Verse 13, and Titus again says, waiting for our blessed hope. Well, let's just be clear about this. When it says our blessed hope, hope comes from God, period. It's his thing. It comes from him. There's 150 odd verses on hope, somewhere in there, 150 verses on hope. And you know that not a single one of those verses ever says, you know what, you're a pretty good person. You go, girl. You go, boy. You got this. You do you. Not any one of them says that. Every one of those verses ties hope to God's character, who he is, he can be trusted, and God's covenant, his promise is sure. Every one of those verses is tied to God. It comes from God. Hope comes from God, and hallelujah, it comes to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul on Thanksgiving serves some humble pie to his congregation. And he reminds them, he says, consider your, consider your calling. Not one of you was wise. Not one of you was powerful. Not one of you was a social media influencer. You were foolish. You were weak. You were broken. You were nothing. Whew, thank you, Pastor for making us feel good about ourselves. But then he goes on to say it's okay because hope's from God. God is something. And he's making you into something. Hope is from God and it's applied to us. Waiting for our blessed hope. Titus 3 verse 5 says, He saved us not because of works done in righteousness, but because because of his own mercy. Because of Advent. Because God has arrived and he's arriving. 
Well, who was Titus written to? This is interesting. Generally, in Titus 1, verse 1, generally, it was written to those who received Jesus, the chosen, those who are saved, God's elect. Well, specifically, in verse 4, it says to Titus from the Apostle Paul. So a young guy who's taken over this congregation to try to set it up. And then the big picture, right after it says, Titus, this is for you. Verse 5, the Apostle Paul says to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. This is why I left you in Crete. Well, who were the Cretans? Their, their name has become a byword. It's synonymous with deviance. Their national sport would have been lying. The Cretans were a terrible people. And you kids probably know, you've heard of Cretans before and didn't even realize it. In the Disney Pixar movie, Monsters, Inc., the villain says to Wazowski, right? You little one-eyed cretin. And Wazowski looks back at him and says, oh, okay, first of all, it's cretin. If you're going to threaten me, at least do it properly. In Titus 1, verse 10, and 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul says, There are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers. One of themselves, a fellow Cretan, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul's response to that local poet in verse 13, Hey, this testimony is true. Wow, really? He just, he just affirmed it. These are terrible people. And it reminds us, yes, this book is written to those who are saved. Yes, this book is written to those who are in the service of God. But this book is also for, this hope is also for those who are far from God. Matthew 12, 21 says, In Jesus' name, the nations, the nations, will put their hope. Well, verse 13, to round out this last verse here, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one verse, remember, in those 150 verses on hope that actually says, blessed hope. Blessed hope. It's this verse right here. Advent culminates on the darkest day of our year. Out of 365 days, it will culminate with the Christ candle in the middle on the darkest day of our year, bringing hope. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from God, having no hope. There's a worship song that came out recently in, in reference to the story of Lazarus being raised from the grave. And the lyrics say, You stood outside my grave with tears on your face, I heard you say my name, and my night was turned to day. Because you came. I knew that you would come. You sang in my heart, it woke up. And now, I'm not afraid. I see your face, I'm alive. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. John 14, 8, Jesus promised you, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. And in the last book, last chapter of God's book, Revelation chapter 22, three times, 
verse 7, verse 12, verse 20. Three times, Jesus reaffirms, I'm coming back. I am coming back. I am coming back. Amen. Praise God. And unlike most movies, let me tell you, the sequel is going to be better than the first. We get to see Jesus face to face. Voice that rushes like waters, fire in his eyes, the one who healed the blind, deaf, mute, and sick, the one who created and sustains the universe, the one who could devour you and I, but chose to stoop down. We get to see him face to face. And in a book I recently read called Stay Salt, we're reading right now, on evangelism, the author said, why is looking at Jesus so power powerful? Because Jesus is so much more. Jesus is delightful, exasperating, and so different from what most of us assume. Think about it. When ordinary people meet Jesus, when they met him in his day, they were amazed by his miracles, astonished by his teaching, shocked by his claims, and moved by his tenderness. Psalm 27, 4, David says this. I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I will contemplate his beauty and I'll study at his feet. He was waiting a long time ago for the arrival of Christ. And we get to wait today for this blessed hope, the appearing of our God and Savior. So let me just finish by saying, what are you putting your hope in right now? What's your level of hope? One to ten. Where would you place it? Is it low? Is, is the gas gauge low? You've got a way now. You've got a way now to get your hope up. What's blocking your hope in God? What's the thing you need to renounce? What's the thing you need to live for? What's that thing you need to wait for? Well, we know that now. It's hope. First Peter 1.13 Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anybody feeling a little more hopeful today? Word of God is good, huh? The Word of God is good. Let's, let's do something about what we heard this morning. Let's put our hope fully in God. Let's get our hope up. Amen? Thank you.